Did you know you can listen to all your favorite podcasts, including this one, free on Spotify? And beginning August 2nd, Spotify is going to become the exclusive home for all past and future episodes of Dissect. That means wherever you're listening right now, Dissect will no longer be available after August 2nd. So it's more important than ever that you download the free Spotify app on your phone, search for Dissect, and tap the follow button to get new episodes right in your library. You can even binge the entire Yeezus season for free right now. So download Spotify for free today and never miss a new episode of Dissect. Back in 2012, just days before Paris Fashion Week, Kanye West was told by designer Heidi Slimane that Kanye would only be able to attend his highly anticipated runway show for Saint Laurent if Kanye agreed not to attend any other shows. At the time, Kanye was already struggling to get a legitimate seat at the table in the fashion industry, and he took this as a slight, another attempt to sun him and undermine his value as a creative. And so what did Kanye do the very next day? He went into the studio and made a song called I Am A God. When someone comes up and says something like, I am a God, everybody says, who does he think he is? I just told you who I thought I was, a God. I just told you, that's who I think I am. More than any other lyric on Yeezus, it was these four words that were the most controversial. To some, it was the pinnacle expression of Kanye's long inflated ego. And while that might be partially true, it certainly is not the whole truth. Because like all things Kanye West, and especially his music, I Am A God, both the song and the statement itself, is complicated, it's layered, and today, we're going to get into all of it. From Spotify, I'm Cole Kushner, and this is Dissect, long-form musical analysis broken into short, digestible episodes. Today, we continue our serialized examination of Kanye West's Yeezus with its infamous third track, I Am A God. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Before getting into I Am A God, let's recap where we are in the Yeezus story. The album's opening track, On Sight, introduced us to the character Yeezus, an exaggerated version of Kanye West, who we met existing in his natural environment of a nightclub. Yeezus is an arrogant, narcissistic celebrity who thrives in this hollow club life, living from one indulgent sexual encounter to the next uninterested in making genuine connections with the women who seek his attention, living only for the moment. 
for the entirety of the album's second track, Black Skinhead, Yeezus rages against both the system and the people unmotivated to overturn this system. Inspired by Malcolm X and Michael Jackson, he's desperate to create change on a national scale and frustrated by the inaction of those around him. Like every good story, with these first two tracks, we get to know who our protagonist is, what he desires, and what are the obstacles standing in the way to obtaining said desire. For Yeezus, he seems to believe the biggest obstacle to his revolution is the inaction of his peers. But as an audience who heard the indulgence of On Sight, we know that perhaps more than anything, the obstacle is himself. At the end of Black Skinhead, Yeezus expressed his frustration by muttering God over and over, a grunt that morphs into a primal scream. This of course links perfectly into the album's next song, the subject of our episode today, I Am A God. I Am A God was produced by Kanye West, Hudson Mohawk, Daft Punk, and Mike Dean. Like both On Sight and Black Skinhead, the production is sparse, with very few instruments being used. The foundation of the song is created by a distorted 808 playing a low A. Over this driving 808, we get a few accent synths, beginning with this brief one. Despite this part being so short, this is what gives the track a lot of its haunting quality. That's because it starts with an A, the same pitch as the 808 plays, and glides down one half step to a G sharp. This is what's called a glissando, where you can hear all the tiny microtones in between the two main notes. When this part lands on that ending G sharp, it creates a half step interval between it and the low A the bass is playing. Like we discussed on our episode on On Sight, a half step interval is the most dissonant interval we have in Western music. When played together, a G sharp and an A sound like this. Adding to the haunting atmosphere this creates are these sharp, unexpected stabs. When taken together, the basis of I Am A God sounds like something out of a horror film. On top of this haunting texture comes a sample from the artist Capleton. As we've previously discussed, Kanye frequently uses samples to add additional layers of depth to his songs, both sonically and thematically. We've already seen this on display with the sample interlude on On Sight, where Kanye used the sample lyrics as both a comment on Yeezus being an album we didn't want but needed, and a comment on the hollow, unfulfilled lifestyle of the album's protagonist, who is getting what he wants but not what he needs. The song that's sampled in I Am A God is called Forward In A Dem Close by Capleton, a Rastafarian reggae artist. The lines Kanye uses for I Am A God roughly translate to blazing, I don't want him, I need him, 
and later I took her out of her bougie red and put her in a tall skirt, and now she'll find out what life is really worth, no to X-rated. Capleton is critiquing the dress of a woman. She appears forward in the red outfit she's wearing. Red is a color typically associated with sin, carnal pleasure, and sex. Capleton replaces this with a tall skirt, something more proper. The result is that, with sex off her mind and the minds of men who lust after her, she'll be able to find more meaningful things in her life. This is summarized by the line, no to X-rated. The implication is also that the men around her might value her more for her soul than her body. This could explain the opening lines, blazing, I don't want him, I need him. As in, when the woman is blazing, she isn't wanted but needed, which is desire over love. There's a few ways we might think of these lyrics in context of the song and album. Given the song was written in France during Paris Fashion Week, and as a reaction to the perceived slight by one of the week's biggest participants, the emphasis on clothes and dressing someone seems like an appropriate surface-level link. The sample's first words, blazing, I don't want him, I need him, is eerily almost verbatim to the sampled section on On Sight, where the choir sang, he'll give us what we need, it may not be what we want. Following this thread back to On Sight, we recall how Jesus was surrounded by women in red, so to speak. His interaction with such women was only about sex and indulgence, not about connection. The woman's contrasting clothes then becomes a metaphor, that the red dress, the lust, is what Jesus wants, but it's the more respectful dress, true connection and love, that he needs. With this in mind, Jesus would be the one who doesn't know what life is really worth, who needs to say no to X-rated. He's focused on the wrong things, and it's through a change in his clothes, aka a change in perspective, that he'll eventually find out was truly important. I am a god. I am a god. Jesus starts uttering out those infamous words, I am a god. With the excessive ego Jesus displayed on Onsite and Black Skinhead, it's not hard to see the jump from viewing himself as a king to thinking he's powerful and special enough to be a god. This intro also harkens back to Black Skinhead in another majorly important way. As we discussed in that episode, the term skinhead has roots in Jamaican culture. Yeezus has chosen to embody the movement's punk origins and exhibit the anger and frustration expressed by early skinheads, thus becoming a black skinhead. This also means embracing Jamaican music, which he does several times on this album, including the opening Capleton sample on I Am A God. Capleton is well known for his embracement of the Rastafari movement, Rastas have their own specific interpretation of the Bible, a belief in a single god known as Yah, who partially resides within each individual. Back in the 1990s, Capleton was one of several artists who revived Rastafari-focused reggae music, which had become less prevalent after the deaths of Haile Selassie in 1975 and Bob Marley in 1981. This resurgence in a religious and social movement that embraces a god from within seems all too fitting for I Am A God, which finds Kanye channeling his inner divinity in order to assert his prowess as a creative. Also recall that Capleton sings about blazing in the intro, which is slang for taking a pull from a joint. Marijuana, popularly referred to as the holy herb, was a huge component of Rastafarian rituals. Rastas argue that marijuana use is promoted in the Bible, so the plant is often smoked during groundings, when Rastas congregate to sing hymns, play music, and discuss their religious principles. Some Rastas believe that smoking marijuana cultivates a form of personal introspection that allows the smoker to discover their inner divinity. 
So in this context, blazing seems an appropriate way to start a track in which Jesus is tapping into his inner God. Although rather than seeking a divine spiritual connection, Jesus is only looking to exploit a godlike power. I am a god. Hurry up with my damn massage. Hurry up with my damn menage. Get the Porsche out the damn garage. I am a god. Even though I'm a man of God. My whole life in the hand of God. So y'all better quit playing with God. Soon as they like As a god, Jesus infamously demands a massage, sex with multiple women, and a sports car. On the surface, this seems like blasphemy, and many music fans, journalists, and casual headline readers took Kanye at face value, given the reputation he has for being narcissistic. And certainly there's truth in this interpretation. But if we zoom out a bit and view these words from the album's main character, Jesus, there's a little more nuance to consider. Despite thinking of himself as all-powerful, Jesus doesn't actually get what he wants. He's waiting for a massage. He's waiting for a menage in his sports car. Gods are supposed to be all-powerful, but we've just been shown a God who is powerless, at the mercy of everyone else, throwing a fit because he's out of patience. On on site, Jesus craved everything at a moment's notice and received it. In the world at large, he's not actually getting what he wants. Kanye's also very quick to undermine his own almighty claim, saying, even though I'm a man of God, my whole life in the hand of God. He zooms out to immediately acknowledge the one true God, admitting his own mortality and dependency. Considering that the album title is Jesus, we also have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ was both God and man, and this dichotomy might be what inspires this section's final line, so y'all better quit playing with God. By the transitive property, if people mess with Jesus' will, they're messing with God's will. It's this complicated energy we carry into a first verse that further explores the attitude and background of Jesus. Y'all better quit playing with God. Soon as they like you, make them unlike you. This kissing people ass is so unlike you. The only rapper compared to Michael. So here's a few hating ass niggas to fight you. Here's a few stink ass niggas to bite you. I don't even want to hear about what niggas might do. Kanye raps, soon as they like you, make them unlike you. Because kissing people's ass is so unlike you. Kanye adds to the egotism of the track by speaking about himself in the third person. The line is almost certainly commenting on his attitude post My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Kanye largely saw that album as a backhanded apology, meaning he made the album for the masses, a peace offering for the public after the VMA controversy. And like we covered previously, it worked. Kanye was crowned a king once again. Many had hoped his follow-up to Twisted Fantasy would be Twisted Fantasy 2.0, but Kanye went the opposite route, made an experimental punk rap album that he knew wouldn't sit well with many longtime fans. Within the context of the line, as soon as people like you, make them unlike you, his statement, I am a god, is then one of purposeful antagonism. Kanye knows this claim would ruffle feathers and feed into the negative aspects of his public reputation, which to him is all the more reason to say it. Of course, there's irony in predicting the backlash of a song in the very song and album that would cause the backlash. And given that the song is called I am a god, we might even say it's prophetic. It appears after being so down after the VMAs, only to be exalted so high after Twisted Fantasy, Kanye has come to recognize and reject the malleability of public perception. If the acclaim and adoration a celebrity receives can turn to animosity in an instant, how genuine was the love in the first place? Like a pro wrestler that exists in a fabricated world, Kanye recognizes his control over the optics of his public reputation and purposefully turns heel. He continues with the line, the only rapper compared to Michael, so here's a few hate and ass n-words to fight you, 
and here's a few snake-ass N-words to bite you. There are three different Michaels Kanye could be referring to here. The safest assumption is Michael Jackson, whom Kanye has referenced and sampled many times throughout his career. On our last episode on Black Skinhead, we discussed how Yeezus getting his quote-unquote scream on was a reference to Scream, Jackson's song about injustice and his slandered public reputation at the time. But this line could also interpolate N-words in Paris, the hit collaboration with Jay-Z from the album Watch the Throne. Here Jay refers to three Michaels, beginning with Michael Jackson. He then cites Mike Tyson, a boxer that infamously bit the ear off an opponent, perhaps inspiring Kanye's next lines, so here's a few hatin'-ass N-words to fight you, and here's a few snake-ass N-words to bite you. Given Kanye's history of tongue-in-cheek references, this connection between Tyson, fight, and bite makes sense. Lastly, Michael Jordan is of course regarded as the best basketball player of all time, so it's likely that Kanye is simultaneously likening himself to Michael Jackson for his dominance of music, to Mike Tyson for his ferocity and controversy, and to Michael Jordan for being the greatest of all time at what he does. Kanye's line, so here's a few snake-ass n-words to bite you, also plays off the famous biblical story of a snake deceiving Adam, the first human God created. As a god himself, Jesus feels he's surrounded by snakes trying to manipulate him out of his power and wealth. Jesus continues his critique of others with the lines, old n-words mentally still in high school, since the tight jeans they ain't never liked you, pink-ass polos with a fucking backpack, but everyone know you brought real rap back. As we covered on season two of this podcast, when Kanye first came on the scene, he was known as the kid in the pink polo with the Louis Vuitton backpack. He was a rapper who didn't dress like the prototypical rapper, and other rappers gave him shit for this, despite what his music accomplished. You can hear this snake-like sentiment on Lord Jamar's Lift Up Your Skirt, a song dedicated entirely to criticizing Kanye's fashion choices. Lord Jamar here embodies the very close-minded, anti-progressive, juvenile people stuck in a high school mentality that Yeezus takes shots at in the verse. Despite the immediate backlash that came with wearing tight jeans, Kanye understands that innovation and shifting cultural trends will always be met with resistance, be it tight jeans or an album full of distortion and screams. Kanye's attitude has been to always fight for what you believe in, even when the world tells you no. And in the form of Yeezus, that defiance turns to anger. Kanye continues with a string of references to his crew, rapping, Nobody had swag, man, we the rap pack. Virgil, Pyrex, Don C, Snapback, Ivan Diamond, Chi-Town, Shinin'. The Rat Pack here refers to Frank Sinatra and his crew of other popular celebrities, like Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin. The group was and remains an iconic example of 1960s culture, 
especially that surrounding Las Vegas and the classy presentation of classless nightlife indulgence. Everywhere they went, the Rat Pack made waves. Likewise, Kanye asserts that his pack has a similar influence. Virgil Abloh with his Pyrex fashion brand, Don C with popular snapback hats under his Just Don brand, and Ivan Jasper who had a collaborative deal with the streetwear titan Diamond Supply Company. The three of them, along with Kanye, have helped Chicago shine. With the next line, Monop in this bitch changed the climate, Kanye cites his former manager John Monopoly, who managed Kanye for years before he was ever signed to Rockefeller. Monopoly would work with many artists over the decades, and Kanye's crediting him for changing the climate of the Chicago music scene, or making it hot. This also serves as a double entendre, as Kanye is saying he and his crew are so powerful and influential that they have a monopoly on the market. The next line, hop in this bitch and set the Garmin, makes reference to one last person, Kiambo Joshua, mostly known by his nickname Hip Hop. Joshua's management company, Hip Hop, since 1978, had clients such as Lil Wayne, Nicki Minaj, T.I., Drake, and of course Kanye West. With such impact on the music industry, Hip Hop sets the Garmin, or GPS system, as his influence sets the direction of music itself. With these Rat Pack lines finished, we conclude the verse with, Until the day I get struck by lightning. It's an unfinished thought that's quickly completed by the first line of the hook, I am a god. Jesus has decided that until God smites him for blasphemy, he'll continue to reinforce just how powerful, influential, and successful he is, an energy that extends into the modified hook. That's right after the break. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Welcome back to Dissect. Before the break, Jesus passionately declared he wouldn't back down until God himself smites him with lightning. As the song continues into its hook, Jesus adds to his list of demands a puzzling, unexpected request. Until the day I get struck by lightning. So hurry up with my damn massage in a French ass restaurant. Hurry up with my damn croissants. Jesus once again commands, so hurry up with my damn massage. The use of so is known in grammar as a conjunction. It demonstrates consequential action between two statements. For example, it's raining, so I'm not going to the beach. The so is what tells us that it's specifically because of the rain that the speaker has decided against the beach. And so Kanye's use of so is a subtle way to show Jesus' train of thought is consequential, that throughout the entire verse, he's still been waiting for his massage, and probably the menage and the Porsche. And it's because of what he says in the verse that whoever hasn't given him his massage needs to hurry up and give him his massage. It's a way of showing that time has passed and the character has grown more frustrated. And just when the frustration hits a tipping point, we get the line, in a French-ass restaurant, Hurry up with my damn croissants. It's a line that for most of us inspires laughter. A line so ridiculous that seemingly any other rapper would never consider actually putting it in a song. 
especially a song in which they're claiming to be a divine being. But like the backpack, the polo, the tight jeans, the leather kilt, it's a line that makes Kanye uniquely Kanye. Love it or hate it, it's one that penetrates through the noise of pop culture. It's the line we quote first whenever the song or even album comes up in conversation. Yeezus producer and engineer Noah Goldstein told Pitchfork, quote, Sometimes I don't realize which lines are really going to resonate, but Kanye always does. Actually, Hurry Up With My Damn Croissants was one where I was like, are you really sure you want to say that? And he's like, yes, that's staying in. He literally has the best gut instincts of anybody I've ever worked with as far as what music should be, unquote. The line is as effective as it is, largely due to its shock value. Up until now, we had more or less taken Kanye at his word. His egotism, scored by very serious, dark production, made it appear he was absolutely serious in his various claims to omnipotence. There seemed very little room for humor. And then, out of nowhere, we get a line so over the top and delivered with the same gusto as all the others, it's shocking. And after we hear it, we can't help but to second-guess the seriousness of the entire track. And to this point, we have to recognize that Kanye also seemed to hint at the comedic undertones of the song in the title, as it's listed as, I am a god, featuring God. It's another signal not to take his claim too seriously. As an example of the kind of unique buzz and fun a line like the croissants one generates, the Association of French Bakers composed a tongue-in-cheek public letter to Kanye West, defending the time it takes to make a perfectly crafted croissant. Quote, You may be familiar with the famous French expression, a great croissant is worth waiting a lifetime for. We could easily let this water pass under the bridge, as they say, but we take your lyrics very seriously. From the other lines in the song, we have come to understand that you may, in fact, be a god. Yet, if this were the case, and we of course take you at your word, we wonder why you do not more frequently employ your omnipotence to change time and space to better suit your own personal whims. For us mere mortals, we must wait the time required for the croissant to come to perfect fruition. But as a deity, you could surely alter the bread's molecular structure faster than the speed of light, no? While this letter was written in jest, it actually applies quite nicely to the character development of Jesus. Because of his influence and status, he believes he's deserving of all of his desires at a moment's notice, even if those demands are as impossible as changing the molecular structure of bread so his croissant won't take as long. Jesus is living in a delusional version of reality, and his frustration of not getting what he wants when he wants it is growing exponentially, leading to some cathartic screams. In the first line of verse 2, Kanye, or Yeezus, declares, I just talked to Jesus. He said, what up, Yeezus? I said, shit, I'm chillin', trying to stack these millions. On one hand, it's normal for Christians to feel that they have a relationship with Jesus. But the conversation that follows could be viewed as highly delusional, and from a meta view, intentionally funny, especially considering they followed just after the croissants line. Normally, a conversation with God would be centered around the loftiest existential concerns, the most profound questions and thoughts we as mortal beings have. Yet here, all of that philosophy is countered by the low-key superficiality of the words exchanged by Jesus and Jesus. 
If Jesus has deeper concerns or questions, like his so-called revolution outlined on black skinhead, he's not making them known. He's too focused on his money. Jesus then feigns a little humility, saying, I know he the most high. But it turns out this humility was really an excuse to compare himself to God again, as he says, but I am a close high. We just had the image of Jesus stacking millions of dollars. You can imagine the money reaching to the sky in a cartoonish manner, which is now followed by the idea of Jesus himself being near the height of Jesus up in heaven. The implication is that it's his money, his celebrity, his fame that gives him his height. It's a very hollow high. The line also seems to reference Psalm 82, in which God confronts an assembly of world leaders who have defended the unjust and wicked and have failed to defend the weak and rescue the oppressed. God says to them, quote, The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler, unquote. Scorning world leaders who have abused their authority, God here at once acknowledges that humans are children of God, or the Most High, who rule over the earth, but that abuse of their power will result in them being judged harshly and dying as mere mortals, which we might assume means they are not granted eternal life in heaven. This passage gets at the central narrative of the Bible, which begins with God creating humanity in His image and giving humanity the earth to rule and reign over on God's behalf. Over and over throughout the Bible, humanity fails miserably at this, rejecting God's provision of good and evil, and sacrificing our divine image to other idols like money, power, sex, success, fame, and false prophets. Jesus Christ then enters the narrative and lives out God's word as it was intended. His rule and reign is defined by compassion, humility, and sacrifice, and is intended to be the example by which others could follow to our true humanity. Within this biblical context, we can see that one of the reasons Jesus has declared himself a god is because God declared Jesus and every other human a god, or at least made in his image. It's not exactly the blasphemy some may think. It's not even as delusional as some may think, but rather a more literal reading of the Bible that lines up with the Rastafarian idea of inner God. Father Matthew Moritz, the associate director of the St. Bartholomew's Church in Manhattan, publicly came to Connie's defense regarding his claim of being a god, and he cited Psalm 82 and recognized that Kanye's wrestling with his ego. Father Moritz stated, quote, He says that Jesus is the most high, but Kanye can't stop thinking of himself as number two, the close high. He is part of Jesus' mafia. Jesus is the godfather, and he is like the general, the second in command. He realizes that in the cultural system, he's an idol. He is a celebrity, a divinity. Everybody loves him. They adore him. They give him all the awards, all the money he wants, all the women he wants. It's unbelievable. Give Kanye a break. This is some heavy, deep stuff. It's about prayer, value, idolatry, and he's wrestling with this. Wouldn't you wrestle with this? Would you be able to resist it? Unquote. Indeed, Jesus' style of rule and reign doesn't exactly align with the example Jesus set in the Bible. However pure his revolutionary intentions are, they are complicated by his obsession with power, sex, money, and fame, the very things many of the biblical kings were tarnished by, the very things God condemned in Psalm 82. Jesus' misled power was explicitly illustrated in his conversation with Jesus in the previous lines, as the irony of bragging to Jesus about money is as ridiculous as him demanding croissants in a French-ass restaurant. As the song has gone on, Jesus' claims to divinity have become more and more superficial and silly, and this gets back to the duality that's core to Jesus, the album, and character. While his interpretation of the Bible is empowering, if taken too far and paired with ego, 
it's destructive. The verse continues with Jesus saying, Mi casa su casa, a common Spanish phrase that translates to my house is your house. It's a line typically said to a guest as a gesture of trust and warmth, and that you view them as an equal. If taken at face value, it's humbling that Jesus offers what he has to God in this way. But given everything we heard up until this point, it's more likely that Jesus is using the phrase to again brag that he's on the same level as Jesus. The final line of the verse is, that's our Cosa Nostra. Cosa Nostra is famous for being the secret Italian name for the Sicilian Mafia. The literal translation is, our thing. Kanye uses the reference because the Sicilian Mafia is known for its intense loyalty and focus on family, and its long ties to the Roman Catholic Church. Again, there's duality. Loyalty and family are valuable things, but the Mafia is one of the most prolific and enduring criminal organizations in the entire world, thought to be several centuries old. So using the term shows the bond Jesus believes he has with God, but it recalls exactly the kind of wickedness God condemns in Psalm 82. That's irony, but it's also the conflict of Jesus. He's caught between what's good and what's evil, a decent person corrupted by the very society of Psalm 82. That irony is pulsating as the song heads into its final disconcerting moments. After continuing to repeat, I am a god, Kanye once again lets out a primal scream. But this time, the music drops out entirely, forcing us to fully focus on these repeated screams, which are followed by a panicked breathlessness that sounds like someone is on the verge of a complete breakdown. It recalls what we heard on Black Skinhead, but the worst version. The man who was doing 500 and was out of control has officially lost control. <laughs> After Kanye's solo screams, the main production enters once again, except this time the bass notes that have been moving from A to F throughout the entire song so far. Now move from a C to an A flat. This sudden shift in the tonal home or center of the song is what's called a modulation where a song moves from one key signature to another within the same song. The modulation from A minor to C minor is a subtle but effective one, just enough musical interest to keep our sustained attention throughout the outro after Kanye disappears from the track. And as this outro continues, we get a new synth riff we haven't heard yet in the song. And this is where things get interesting. Here we have a fuzzy synth playing arpeggios, which just means the notes in a chord played individually. So let's focus on the notes played here. We have a descending sequence of three notes. We start on a G, move down to an E flat, 
and then down to a C. Now the next part is essentially the same thing, except the first note changes. What was just a G now moves up a half step to an A flat. So essentially we have two descending sequences, with the only difference between the two being that first note, which moves up a half step. Now let me play around with these notes a little, because with just a little bit of tinkering, they're gonna start to sound really familiar. First, we'll elongate the notes instead of playing them short and punchy. Now let's move the entire sequence down two octaves, which means they play the same notes, just in a lower register. Now let's change the last note in each sequence from a C to a D. Then we can put a little rhythmic variation on the two sequences. Starting to sound familiar? This kind of warping or manipulation of a musical idea is called motivic development, where a musical idea is altered to create another different yet related idea. Classical composers use this technique all the time to keep their pieces varied and interesting, yet still cohesive. The same way that Kanye yelling God over and over at the end of Black Skinhead paved the way for the next song, I Am A God. Here at the end of I Am A God, the production begins setting the stage for the album's next song, New Slaves. And aside from the motivic similarities in the two synth riffs, the connection between the two songs also helps to explain that modulation to C minor. That's because all the notes in the main synth riff of New Slaves are found in the C minor key signature. This makes the transition that much smoother, and the connection between the two songs that much more substantial. In the final moments of the track, Justin Vernon, aka Boney Vare, enters to sing something that sounds like, Ain't no way I'm giving in, I'm a god. It's the final claim of divinity, yet now, interestingly, it's paired with a line about endurance, about not giving in or giving up. It recalls Kanye's long fight to break into design and fashion, and the slight by designer Heidi Slimane that inspired the song in the first place. Perhaps I Am A God isn't as ego-driven as it appears at face value. Perhaps it's in part a survival mechanism, a defense against the naysayers and proverbial dream crushers that discourage us from aiming high, that discourages us from saying to the world, I can do that, and chasing our dreams. Do whatever you're going to do, but you're not going to bully me. You're not going to stop me because my mother made me believe in myself. No matter how many people tell me, stop believing in yourself. Stop saying what you can do. Stop affirming what you're going to do and then, and then completing that in real life. That's the improper way to do it. I refuse to follow those rules that society has set up in the way that they control people with low self-esteem, with improper information, with branding, with marketing. I refuse to follow those rules. Conclusions As with most Kanye West songs, I Am A God has to be understood both as a standalone track and within the context of the album's narrative. Kanye's irrevocable belief in himself is meant to inspire others, but in the narrative of his albums, especially on Yeezus, that ego is often his fatal flaw. 
It's what causes him to warp the message of Psalm 82, take it too far, and ironically become the very kind of leader the psalm condemned. In Jesus' mind, a God stands above everyone else and requires followers. You must bow to Jesus and recognize his greatness. You must serve him what he wants and when he wants it. Whatever good intentions he had on black skinhead seem overthrown by this need to indulge. There are already signs of his alienating others, as he waits alone in a French-ass restaurant for croissants that may never arrive. The reaction to his demands are much different now that he's out of the clubs that catered to him. There, his fame and money really did make him seem godlike, but the rest of the world isn't so enamored. Because isn't most fame a kind of hollow authority? LeBron James could go anywhere and be swarmed by fans wanting photos and autographs, but the moment he comments on politics, he's told to shut up and dribble. Everyone wants to hear what Kanye says when it's set to music, but often when he speaks his mind anywhere else, well, you know what usually happens. I Am A God is a rare instance in which his music got the same kind of backlash as his impassioned public statements. And when confronted with the backlash, Kanye didn't back down. Where, just like that, when someone comes up and says something like, I am a God, everybody says, who does he think he is? I just told you who I thought I was. A God. I just told you. That's who I think I am. Would it have been better if I had a song that said, I am a nigga? Or if I had a song that said, I'm a gangster? Or if I had a song that said, I am a pimp? All those colors and patinas fit better on a person like me, right? But to say you are a God, especially when you got shipped over to the country that you're in and your last name is a slave owner's. How could you say that? How could you have that mentality? This interview excerpt made rounds on the internet mostly due to Kanye's animated delivery. For some, it's a sign of his passion. For others, it's evidence of his irrationality. But often the way someone delivers their message distracts us from the actual message itself. For instance, here's Kanye's response when asked a question about the song by Show Studio. Quote, The reason why I made the song I Am A God is so those people that feel less than can turn it up and say it loud and embrace it for themselves, that God is inside all of us. It wasn't about specifically me. It was about us as a race, that we are all extensions of God, that we all have God inside us, unquote. Potential theological differences aside, when we strip away Kanye's brash delivery and receive just his message, it's hard to think that anyone would have much of a problem with this idea. It's inspiring. It's affirming and it seems to align more with the biblical idea that we are divine beings meant to rule and reign this planet. As is so often the case with Kanye West, his intended message is not always the issue. It's the clunky or over-the-top way he delivers it. But what I think is valuable about a song like I Am A God is that despite whatever we might feel about the delivery, its message forces us to examine our own self-confidence, as does Kanye's impassioned, unwavering belief in himself more generally. How much of our own potential is lost to self-doubt, to listening to the naysayers both around us and in our own heads? Imagine how much higher we might set our goals if, like Kanye, we really thought we could do anything we dreamed of. Imagine how different the world would be if we all believed ourselves to be divine creations, destined for greatness, capable of anything. I always felt like I could do anything. That's the main thing people are controlled by, thoughts, their perception of themselves. They're slowed down by their perception of themselves. If you're taught you can't do anything, you won't do anything. Mm. I was taught I could do everything. (laughs) And I'm Kanye West at age 36. (laughs) So just watch the next 10 years.
Go listen to all my music. It's the codes of self-esteem. It's the codes of who you are. If you're a Kanye West fan, you're not a fan of me. You're a fan of yourself. You will believe in yourself. I'm just the espresso. I'm just a shot in the morning to get you going. To make you believe that you can overcome that situation that you're dealing with all the time. Today's episode was written by Travis Bean, Chris Lambert, and me. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend about the show or share on social media. It really helps. Theme music for the show is composed by Bureaucratic. Audio editing by Eric Bass and me. Song recreations by Andrew Atwood. Be sure to follow us on social media at Dissect Podcast. And check out our limited Season 8 merchandise on our website, dissectpodcast.com. If you want even more episodes on Kanye, listen to Season 2 of this podcast a 16-episode analysis of my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Okay, thanks everyone. Talk to you next time.